Thank you for joining our podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. Stay tuned as together we'll study God's Word. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear. She told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Amen. Gosh, I almost feel like we could close in prayer right now. I mean, wow, Ian, that was awesome. Jesus, that was awesome. So good. Well, it's so great to be with you again, PCC. I just love coming. And I have to tell you, when Gary and I were talking about this Sunday, and I was hearing all about the series, and I was so excited, and then I said, so which, which one will I be preaching on? And he said, the bleeding woman. And I was like, wow, okay. Let, let me try to at least find her name. And of course, we don't know her name. And, of course, I gave the sermon a new title, and we're going to be talking about that today, The Woman Who Pushed Close, because I'm hoping that that's what's going to happen to all of us today. But, you know, it got me thinking how often our need begins to define us. Have you ever been suffering or in a place so long that you feel like it just defines you? It's in front of you all of the time. Now, many of you know that I uh, got married late in life. In fact, my husband, my hunk of a husband, is here today. So you'll want to say hi to him afterwards. You can wave, babe. Yes. He's he's really the star of this show. (laughs) But, you know, I got married when I was 49. And, in fact, when I tell college students that, you can actually see the college girls visibly go to prayer at that moment. And, uh, and so I had to wait quite a long time, but uh, one of the things that happened is you do begin to feel defined by this, even if it's just a part of your life, you know, I, I sort of felt defined by it. And then when I turned 40, I don't know if some of you will remember this, but a movie came out starring Steve Carell called The 40-Year-Old Virgin. Well, now I was seeing it on billboards all over the city. And I'm like, really, God? I mean, like, I need this. And then the worst part about that movie is it kind of caricatured this idea of waiting to have sex until you're married as, like, you were somehow arrested in your development. Like, what's wrong with you? I mean, Steve Carell played with action figures, and he was a 40-year-old man. And so, you know, it just, it was like a, a knife that sort of just went in and twisted. And I don't know how many of you feel this, but I was thinking, you know, the bleeding woman... This woman who, who becomes known by her condition, this condition that defined her. Well, my prayer, brothers and sisters, this morning is when you leave today, if you come in with that, with that label, with that definition, with that feeling like this is just my life, that you are going to leave just like this woman, that you will now be defined as the man or the woman who pushed close to Jesus, because that is a decision you made today by coming here. 
And for some of you, you deserve a congratulations because I know what it's like to get yourself out of bed and into church on the mornings where you feel like it's been a long time since I've seen God do anything. I don't know where he is right now, but I am still going to get myself up and go to church and get next to Jesus. And we're going to learn by looking at this passage. And I would just invite you um, to go ahead and walk through this passage. If you have a Bible or your iPhones, you want to do it that way. But uh, I'm going to be just lifting some observations from this passage that I think can really help us as we're thinking about healing, as we're thinking about times in our life when we wonder if Jesus even cares or knows or sees what we are facing. The first thing that I'm going to talk about is the woman. And really, in this passage, we see this woman, she made three choices. The first, we see that she made a choice to persevere. And you say, well, how do you know that, Lori? How do you know? I mean, what choice did she have? No. You can read in this passage, in verse 26, she suffered a great deal under the care of not one doctor, many doctors, not paying part of what she had, paying all of what she had. We are talking about a woman who for 12 years tried every single thing she could. She did not give up. She kept going. Well, this doctor didn't work. I'm going to go to another doctor. And I'm going to try another doctor. And I'm going to spend more money. And I'm going to take all the help that's available. And nothing happened to change her condition. And yet, and yet, she somehow had the wherewithal to say, I am going to get up today. I've heard this man, Jesus, is going to be near where I am. And I'm going to get myself to where he is. 12 years of suffering, but she persevered for this moment. And then another decision that we see that she made is that she chose well. She came to be where Jesus is. Some of you chose very well today by coming to be with the people of God, to worship. And man, I just felt like I was at the throne just a few minutes ago to be near to this Jesus. But you know what? It's hard to make good choices when we're in a season of suffering. It's hard. It requires bravery because the temptation is to say, you know what? God's not doing this for me, and so I guess I should just do this for myself. And there's all kinds of choices we can make that are not choices where God is necessarily in them or leading you, but you're just saying, I've got to fix myself because God's not doing it. And I can tell you there were lots of choices in my huge long season of singleness, especially because I longed for this in my life. And I remember one in particular where I showed up to be the speaker of a conference where there were teenagers, a large conference in Colorado, And I was the speaker, and then there was a guy that was leading worship. And he was a very attractive man, almost as attractive as my husband. Didn't know him at the time, so this guy was very attractive. And so I found out right away, secretly, whether he was married or not. And of course he was married, because everybody was married that was my age. At least that's how it felt. And so I'm like, okay. And so we we ended up becoming friends, and we struck up a friendship, and... I began to notice that my heart was being drawn in this friendship. Nothing was happening, but I could tell. 
I was having that conversation with myself that you don't want to have when you're in a situation like that. See, we want to just go, oh, no, nothing's happening, everything's fine. These situations face us all the time, whether they're at work or whether they're around us in situations where we find ourselves tempted. And especially when God isn't doing what you want him to do and you're waiting for him to do something in your life, it is so tempting to say, God, you're not doing it. So I guess I better just start making decisions myself. And I can tell you, as we began to become friends, um, we just, again, nothing happened. It was just simply growing in friendship. And we started conversing more, and then eventually he started complimenting me, and I could just, I felt what was going on in my heart. So I had to come to Jesus with myself. I was in my room, and I remember how hard this was, because it's so hard to be honest with yourself. And I said, where is this going? And I'm telling you, that's the only question you have to ask yourself when you're facing temptation. That one question, that one pause, that one pulling back to see where this is going will help you make a good decision. But we don't do that. Well, I did that, and I, and I realized there was nowhere for this to end except disaster. Disaster for my ministry, disaster for his marriage. I was like, I'm not, I, I need to just kind of pull back. And I never said anything to him. I just began to just spend time with other people. And do you know, a year later, I ran into somebody that, that was a mutual friend of ours. And I said, hey, whatever happened to, and I said his name, and he, his face just dropped. He said, oh, Lori, it's so sad. He's divorced now because he had an affair. And I thought, oh, Lord. You know, it is so tempting to make bad decisions when we're in a season of suffering. But here's the thing. When you make a bad decision, it might be immediately wonderful, but then it just creates more problems in your life. And some of you are sitting in those decisions, and I'm here to say, and please hear me if you are, we have a God of grace, a God of new starts, and a God who works that decision right back into your life. All you have to do is say, God, I want to do it right now, at any given moment. In fact, our wrong turns can become our testimony. That's what I've seen God do. But, brothers and sisters, if you are this side of a decision right now, that you're thinking, you know what, God's just not doing it. I'm so tempted to move forward when I know there's a little voice telling me, no, let me just implore you to remember this woman and choose well. You just keep drawing near to Jesus, and you keep drawing near to your friends that know Jesus so that you can experience him. And this is what we also learn about this woman, is she didn't just come and stay in the background, man. She came and pressed in close. Now, I have a theory about churches. The emptiest place in a church is the first two rows. Have you ever noticed that? I'm going to have a challenge for you, PCC. Sometimes drawing near to Jesus just says, man, I do not want to miss Ian and the worship band. I am going to get myself into the front row. Church is a little bit different from the front row. Now, this is no judgment on the back two rows. Let me just say some of you are like, oh, great. I sat here for the first time, and now she's calling me out. No, because I know sometimes you just slip in. You're not even thinking about it, and all of us can engage in worship. But sometimes we have to make a choice to move in. What does that mean in your life? Maybe it means saying, I'm going to show up at this thing. I didn't think I wanted to go, and I'm not sure I want to go, and I'm not sure I'm going to know anybody there, but I'm just going to go. 
because I want to be around the people of God. Maybe it means getting involved in a ministry that you might not have time for, but you're like, I need this in my life. I need to make this choice, and you'll be amazed how Jesus will show up in your life when you engage in ministry, when you engage in the work of God. God is there. So those were the three choices this woman made, and now here's where we're going to take a turn because that's all she did to be healed. All the rest is about Jesus. And maybe that's a word to those of you who think, well, maybe I'm just not doing it right. Like, maybe I need to be more perfect. Maybe I have blown it too much, and so God's not working in my life. Have you ever done that? I know I've done that. It's like a bargaining thing we do with God. Well, I'll do this, God, if you'll do this. God doesn't work that way. He's all about grace and love and healing. But what we're going to learn from this passage is that sometimes his healing looks very different than we think it's supposed to look. And maybe that's what we need to look at in our own lives. So let's look at Jesus in this passage, what we learn from him. The first thing is he felt. We see right there in verse 30, he felt power go out from him. And so he stopped and he said, who touched me? Now, you can imagine the disciples were like, who touched you? There's a crowd of people around you. Everybody's touching you. He's like, no, 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 because Jesus never sees the crowd. You all come today and you look around. There's some people you know. There's some people you don't know. But I want to tell you something. God knows every single one of you by name. He has numbered the hairs on your head. He knows what you face in your story. He knows some of you. It took courage to come here to church today. He knows what you have been through. He knows you as an individual. And Jesus was in that crowd and he felt that woman's touch. I love this. And so that's what caused him to do what he does next, which is he saw. Verse 32, I love this. He kept looking for her. Can you imagine this woman? Do you think anybody was looking for her? Jesus stopped everybody to look for her. He is the God who sees us. And this isn't the first time that we see this character quality of God. Because if you look back in Genesis 16, another story in the Old Testament, it's the story of Abraham and Sarah. And I know I've alluded to them before. Abraham and Sarah were the couple that were told they were going to have a baby at 80 and 90 years old. Now I'm telling you, I've said this to my husband, if God came to us at 80 and 90 and said, you're going to have a baby, I would not think it was good news. But Abraham and Sarah, they were so excited because they had been waiting so long. So you can imagine their anxiety. I mean, they're already old, right? And this thing didn't happen for 10 more years because that's the kind of God we have. He's just not on our timeline. So this couple, man, they're, you know, it's been three years and Sarah does what all of us would do. Okay, God, you're not doing it, so I guess I'm supposed to help you. Have you ever done that with God? Okay, you know what? I guess God wants me to do it instead. And that's partly true. He does work in and through us, but sometimes we know that we're just done waiting for God. Like he's not doing it, so we're going to do it. And that's what Sarah did. She's like, well, okay, well, I guess we're just supposed to have a baby the way other people do. They made servants had babies, and, you know, I guess we're supposed to have 
our promised child that way. And I always want to picture the conversation between Sarah and Abraham at that point. You know, honey, I guess you're going to have to sleep with Hagar. I can just, I could just imagine Abraham sleep with this beautiful woman. Are you sure, honey? You know, I mean, I don't know what the conversation was, but anyway, it happened. But who was the victim in this story? Hagar did what she was told. Hagar got pregnant. And then Sarah starts mistreating her. And she runs away. Can you imagine how that felt? Maybe some of you know how that feels. You are suffering because of other people's choices. That can sometimes be the worst. I didn't even do anything to have this suffering. And you are suffering because of other people's choices. And you may feel alone, but here's what Hagar discovered. She ran into that desert all by herself. And if you read Genesis 16, it is so beautiful because you're following the story of Abraham and Sarah, and then all of a sudden it takes a left turn. And you end up going into the desert with Hagar because God follows Hagar into that desert. And he says, you're going to be okay. In the form of an angel, he says to her, you're going to be okay. You're going to have your child. I am with you. I know this is not exactly all that I had planned for Abraham and Sarah, but I'm going to graft you right into this story. You are not forgotten, Hagar. I am with you. And do you know what Hagar names God? She's the only person who names God in the Old Testament. And here's what she names him. The God who sees me. You are the God who sees me. Even if I feel like you don't, where are you? I don't know where you are. You're not doing what I want you to do. No, you have a God who sees you and he as he is at work, even if you can't see what he's doing. And so this is what this daughter, this woman learns in this passage. He saw And then he stopped. And in verse 33, it says he stopped and he heard her whole truth. In some translations, it says her whole story. Now, I don't know how many of you have actually listened to someone when they start launching into their whole story. But I know the men in this room, because I know my husband, that when I start launching into a whole story, he informs me that he needs the edited version many, many times. It's hard to listen to someone's whole story. But here's the other part of the story that you need to know. See, this whole encounter took place in the midst of another story. See, the main story that was going on was Jairus, who was a leader in the synagogue, very important, and his daughter was very, very sick. And Jesus, and the reason there was a huge crowd, is they were following Jesus to see Jairus' daughter healed. And when this happened, and then this woman launches into her whole story, then all of a sudden, you can only imagine how Jairus felt. He must have been so upset, but he had to sit there and listen. And then people came to Jairus and said, don't bother the teacher anymore because your daughter is dead. Now imagine how Jairus felt. And here's where Jesus stops what he's doing, and he turns to Jairus in that moment and says, don't be afraid. Just believe. Just trust me. 
And then he turns back to this woman. Now you're Jairus. How do you feel when God says, don't be, don't be afraid after a dream is dead? After death has happened, how can there be hope? Brothers and sisters, we have a God who is beyond death. That's why we're here this morning. We have a God of the resurrection. And this was going to be what Jesus had planned, but Jairus didn't know it. So he stopped, and he listened to this woman, and this is the thing we learn, is that he leaves one need. He lets one need go to meet the one that's in front of him. I think this is the biggest takeaway for me in this passage of what I learned from Jesus, that sometimes we have to let some things go to attend to what's in front of us. You know, if you come to church with the goal that you are going to talk to every single person that you see here, do you know how long your conversations will be? Hi, 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 hi. You will have a series of very superficial conversations, which is what many of us have when we come to church. If you stop and you have a meaningful conversation, you're going to not have some other conversations. You're making a choice. And I maintain that one of our greatest ministries on a Sunday morning is the ministry of listening. There are some people here that need to be heard. And whether it's 5 or 10 or 15 minutes that you could take with one person, I believe that sometimes God wants us to do that. That's what happened to this woman. She was listened to. And that really brings us to the last point of the sermon. That really, in fact, Jesus was healing more than what was seen. Did the woman get a physical healing? Yes. Immediately, she was healed. Her bleeding stopped. Now, immediately after 12 years. 12 years of suffering, and then immediately. That's how God works. You never know when he is going to heal, and especially physically. But here's the thing about physical healing. I started thinking about it. Physical healing is incredible. I mean, it really, I'm sort of intrigued by it. When I see it happen, when I see God do it, it's amazing. We all want that, right? It's miraculous. But it's temporary. Because even if you're healed physically, guess what, brothers and sisters? You're going to die. I've read the statistics. 10 out of 10 die. We are all going to die. So it's just a temporary. I always think about that with Lazarus. He was raised from the dead, and then he died again. Poor guy. Twice. That's our story. But God doesn't end with our death. Because Jesus Christ brought resurrection into our life and the hope that we have after we die. And so the thing is, the woman was healed of her condition, which is wonderful. But you know what the woman was also healed of? Her self-esteem. Because in this encounter, this woman who came low on the totem pole, bleeding, couldn't go into the temple, had to be isolated, not around anybody, poverty, poverty, just the lowest of low. And all of a sudden, she's the most important person in the crowd. Everybody's listening to her story. I mean, he didn't dismiss the crowd on this one. It's Jesus listening to this story and everybody else, whether they liked it or not. This woman became the most important person in the crowd. Now let's think about Jairus. So Jairus thinks his daughter is, is dead, All hope is gone. And it's really interesting if you look in the passage because Jesus 
dismisses the crowd and takes Peter, James, and John. That's it. Peter, James, and John, and Jairus, and goes to the house. Jairus didn't need a public healing. He already got a lot of attention in his life. What he needed was dependence. You think about him. He was rich. He had people following him, probably doing what he wanted all the time. He had all these people going to Jesus going, come on, you got to heal Jairus' daughter. Jairus had it all. And isn't it hard to depend on Jesus when we have it all? And yet, all of a sudden, when his daughter died and Jesus looked at him and said, you trust me, then he had to depend on Jesus. And by depending on Jesus, he saw his daughter raised from the dead. Imagine what Jairus got in this passage. And so we have an amazing God who is able to do more than we can see. And that's really the takeaway. And I want to leave you with two PSs from this story that I think will really um, enlighten you to all that is in this passage. The first is that the woman bled for 12 years. Guess how old the daughter was that was raised from the dead? 12. So when this woman began her condition of bleeding, this little girl was born. And her whole life up to this point was the span of time this woman suffered. And on the same day, the woman was healed of her condition and the daughter was raised from the dead. And they had no idea the parallel that would be between their two lives. And then the second thing that is so wonderful about this passage is the whole crowd was going because they were wanting to see the healing of Jairus's daughter. It was about Jairus's daughter. Jairus's daughter. You can just hear the crowd. Jairus's daughter. We're going to see Jairus's daughter. Jairus's daughter. And guess what Jesus calls the woman when he heals her? Daughter. Daughter. It's the only time he calls anybody daughter. And I believe what Jesus was saying is there, there isn't just one daughter here that we all are concerned about. There are two, and they are equally as important. She is my daughter, just as Jairus' daughter was going to be healed. And even if you feel unimportant and unseen by God, you are never, ever out of his sight. And that is the biggest thing we learn from this passage. I want to say that sometimes our healing is... It happens in ways that's different than we would like. I know that for me, sometimes suffering has been part of my healing. And I think what this passage invites us to see is that maybe if you've been sitting in something for a very long time, I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, to possibly take a deeper look because it could be that God is actually working right now. For me, it was in my singleness that God was healing me because when I was 22, my dad married someone who was just three years older than me. And I didn't realize this, but I had a little hole in my heart that I was recruiting guys to fill that could never have filled it. And so the way God healed me was by allowing me to stand in breakup after breakup after breakup to learn to stand alone with him so that my marriage could be better. And so that was a healing that was taking place in the suffering. So God heals so many different ways. And what we want to invite you 
to receive this morning is whatever kind of healing he has for you because he is a God who is still doing that. So I want you to pray right now. Let's pray. And as your eyes are closed, if you need a healing in your life, would you just slip up your hand right now with everybody's eyes closed? If you need some kind of healing in your life, just raise your hand. God sees you. God sees you. God sees every hand that is raised. And so, God, we pray for the healing that is desired, that is needed, that maybe isn't even being seen right now that you're doing. God, we pray for your Holy Spirit to work and move just as we've seen in this passage. The power then is the power now. You are still at work and you still heal. And we are claiming that and we're going to move close and we are going to reach out to you. And even if it takes 12 years or 24 years or however many years, we're going to keep holding on to you and believing. And then it happens in an instant. And we've seen it. We've experienced it. God, we believe it. And so for each brother and sister who raised their hand, whose name you know, whose story you know, I pray on their behalf for your healing in their life, however that takes shape. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our message podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. We would love the opportunity to connect with you more. We are located in Redwood City, California, and you can find us online at wearepcc.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by simply searching for We Are PCC.